You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. I'm JR, and if you're a regular listener to this podcast, then the probability is that you used to like classic series Doctor Who before you liked new Doctor Who, and one of the things I've kind of noticed about classic series Doctor Who fans who also like the new series And as far as Blue Box podcast listeners are concerned, from the feedback we get, I should say, of those types of people, this is pretty much the most broad-minded sort of section of that group. And after all, you ought to be if you're listening to the Blue Box podcast, because it should be patently obvious that we like the new series just as much as the old. But one of the things I tend to find is that classic series fans will tend to regard the new series in terms of how much they like it compared to the old series, rather than just regarding the new stories and episodes and series in their own right. For example, one thing I quite often see is, or hear in podcasts, is people who will review a new series story and will say, it was great, it was brilliant, there was nothing wrong with it, they'll rave about it for you know, a couple of thousand words or for half an hour. And then at the end, they'll say, that was so fantastic, I'll give it 8 out of 10. And I'm always thinking, if you liked it that much, it must be a 10 out of 10. And the only reason I can think why it only gets an 8 is because, although they liked it probably just as much as they like City of Death or The Talons of Wang Chiang or The War Games or whatever... They have nostalgia going for those other stories as well, and they can't filter the new series through the idea that in future this will be the cause for just as much nostalgia as the old. And as regular listeners to this podcast will also know, one of the things I've been doing since I've been doing this podcast is looking for other Doctor Who podcasts that have that give me insight, that tell me things I wouldn't think to think about myself about Doctor Who. And particularly when it comes to the new series, that's not always especially easy to find because being a middle-aged classic Doctor Who fan, one of the things that I'm always finding is that I gravitate towards other middle-aged classic Doctor Who fans. So this year, I was kind of particularly on the run-up to series 10 looking out for something different, something younger, fresher, something where new series fans were coming to the new series and weren't considering the new series through the prism of their love for the old. And just before series 10 started, I happened to catch a tweet from the Companions of the Doctor Twitter feed, I think it was, recommending the Impossible Girls podcast. So I thought I'd give the Impossible Girls a try given that, A, their name is a new series reference, so I was assuming they'd be new series fans, and B, because also it's a reference to Clara. And as a lot of classic series fans have this year been saying, or for the past couple of years been saying, Clara stayed on too long. Well, I didn't think she did, but we'll get into that, because, speaking of the Impossible Girls, what I've managed to do is get the Impossible Girls here on the Blue Box podcast to talk to me about it themselves. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Erin. I'm Kara. And here we, we are. Impossible Girls. <laughs> <laughs> or two of the three. Two of the two three, of the yes. Three. Yep, yep. The third could not make it today. Mm-hmm. Sadly. Yes. Girls, we got a lot to get through, but I guess the first thing is the Impossible Girls. Why have you named your podcast after Clara? <laughs> First of all, we're big fans of Clara. Um, but for me, we actually went through a lot of discussion when we were trying to come up with a name because 
there were, I think we had actually about 10 different possibilities. And the reason why I personally was drawn to the Impossible Girls was because I liked that it literally has girls in the name. Mm -hmm. And I felt like what set us apart is that we are an all-female podcast, we'll always be an all-female podcast. And I felt that there was really, I guess you could say, a gap in the market when it comes <laughs> to Doctor Who podcasts, and there are not a lot. Um, there's Verity Podcast, which is all women, but um, we are a bit younger. We're all in our 20s. When we started, I think we were about 23 and 21, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so I really felt like, and I think all of us kind of agreed, that we were hoping or, or trying to do something that hadn't really been done before or that people weren't really doing. And the hope was that younger female fans of Doctor Who would listen to us and say like, oh, hey, they're like us. You know, they're our age. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. They're young women just like we are. They're um, connecting to the same characters. Exactly. So. Yeah. And uh, we started, I actually can't remember. I think it was in 2013, actually, that we started the show. Um, I don't remember exactly which episode was our first. Actually, no, it was the 50th anniversary was our first episode. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. um, so Clara was a very central part of all those episodes obviously so um we have clara in our little album art for the podcast mm -hmm. you know we we definitely discuss clara a lot because her run has been pretty much the entire duration of our show <laughs> so, just about yeah, any time anything to do with clara comes up you go into about half an hour's worth of talk on clara <laughs> it's all it's usually mostly my fault <laughs> But I actually hated the, the name when we picked him. That I is really, true. <laughs> I really fought against it because I thought it sounded very cheesy. But I mean, now I feel like we've, you know, we are who we are at this point in time. Yeah. I've accepted it. And I think it spoke, of all the names of all the possibilities we had, I thought that was the one that most described us, like yeah. the name. And if someone was scrolling through a list of like, you know, recommend me some Doctor Who podcasts and they saw the Impossible Girls, that kind of explains who we are it's it all sounds kind of like. it sounds kind of cheesy it's like oh these people probably really like clara yeah they like clara they like new who probably they all like, women yeah, yeah exactly yeah but it also stands out because nobody else is yeah. gonna use the word girls in their podcast yeah, exactly title. yeah mm -hmm. so that's gonna draw people instant even if they even if people are looking at a list of podcasts and don't particularly think oh, i want to listen to one that's all girls they're at least mm -hmm. gonna notice it yeah exactly yeah. And maybe Very give it a true. try because of that. Yeah, and I think my fear, not to go on and on about this, but um, before podcasting, some people might know this who listen to the show, hopefully not many. Um, I used to do YouTube reviews of Doctor Who when I was very young, still in college, kind of just kind of embarrassing, didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but the thing that I encountered a lot was sexism and was people who we're kind of taking my reviews with a grain of salt because I was a girl and a young girl at that. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I had a little bit of trepidation when we started the show that, oh my gosh, we have girls in the name and we're all women and we're talking a lot about the companions. Like, are we going to get all this hate? And honestly, um, I would say we've never gotten hate. Um, we've, <laughs> <laughs> we've gotten some messages that question certain things we say, but it, we've never really gotten anything um, yeah, we that's would... called our authenticity or our like ability to analyze the show into mm -hmm. question. Well, this um, is which I'm thankful for. <laughs> well, this is a big thing for me. I there are some people who think if you haven't been a Doctor Who fan for X number of years, or if you haven't got X amount of DVDs on your shelf or whatever, or if you can't quote a line from some story that was broadcast 45 years ago, then you're not <laughs> a proper fan. Air right. Quotes. Uh, you know, when I was I think my earliest Doctor Who memory is from when I was four years old or whatever. And I probably <laughs> bought my first Doctor Who piece of merchandise when I was about, I don't know, six or seven. Or not bought myself, but had bought for me. And at mm -hmm. no point in any of that time did I ever think to myself, oh, gosh, I wonder when I can become a proper fan. You're a fan if you like something. You know, right, exactly. all these other things are pretty irrelevant, aren't they? And your point of view on any particular episode or subject or whatever, you watch the show, you love the show, your point of view is just as valid as somebody who's 55 and has been on the internet since they were, you know, <laughs> since the internet came in in the 1990s <laughs> or whatever, and has been arguing about Doctor Who ever since. And more to the point, you're still going to be around 30 years after they are, and you're going to carry <laughs> Doctor Who fandom into the next generation and the generation after that. 
God, that's the hope, isn't it? Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> yeah. keep it going. <laughs> but yeah, and I mean, I think to that point, it's like um, everybody's going to watch the show and filter it through their own perspective and their own experiences and whatever. So I always find that when people say, you know, well, you can't be a real fan if you don't like this or you haven't watched all of this or whatever. It's like, no, I'm relating to it from where I am in my life, from what I've experienced of it so far. And just because maybe I haven't seen every single episode doesn't mean I like it any less. Like, yeah. it's just this is where I'm at in, um, I guess, my life Your with life. the show. Yeah. 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 Oh, I tell you what, I, I have bands who I can't stand, but there'll be one particular <laughs> song they've done that I'm an absolutely huge fan of. And it's just that one <laughs> song. If you, yeah. If you like the new series rather than, you know, the whole of Doctor Who, that doesn't mean you're not a Doctor Who fan, but it just means that the new series does things and covers ground, like you say, that relates to you, that the classic series probably wouldn't because it was made in a different time and it had, you know, different priorities. And that's not even to say that we wouldn't enjoy the classic series if we watched it. I know I've, I've seen like two episodes of it. And it's not like I, I was like, oh, this is really interesting just to see the origins, like the roots of the show. Mm-hmm. But of course, because of, I think, coming into the show where we came yeah. came in it from, like, yeah. I mean, you know, series five, it's just a very different, distant sort of um, viewing experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could still enjoy it as much, but, you know, I don't think anything for us will probably compare to what we're seeing now just because... This is where we we've entered. Well, you and obviously one of the big things, and you've mentioned it already, is the companions. Yes. And the relation. <laughs> yes. The, and the relationships, not necessarily always between the companion and the doctor, but with whoever is regular or is recurring at the time. Mm-hmm. Those relationships are the things that define it. And actually, what modern Doctor Who does, I think, is tell stories about relationships through the sort of metaphors of science fiction. Mm-hmm. And I don't think yeah, the classic yeah. series really ever did that. So you're not going to find the things that you're looking for in Doctor Who in the classic series, frankly. Mm-hmm. There are a few yeah. examples isolated, but, you know, so, you know, from 2005 to now and ongoing into the future, it's your perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's giving, I mean, obviously, like, it's giving us something that we didn't see there before. I mean, I don't know about you, Kara, but... um I, and I've said this on our podcast too, but I really think if I had started even at series one of New Who, I would not have continued. I think for whatever reason, when we came into series five, there was something about just like the character dynamics of like Amy at that time and like Eleven as the doctor at that time. And it was just for whatever reason, for early 20s that we were, mm-hmm. like the right kind of introduction to the show that we needed. Is that yeah. where you both came in then with Series 5? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was for me, I think it was in, I want to say, 20, yeah, it was 2011 because I caught up as Series 6 was airing. Um, I started watching Series 5 and then caught up. Um, and yeah, for, for me, I mean, and I can't say for sure, I, I knew of the show definitely way mm-hmm. before that. Um, that was the first time I watched. I had a friend who was really urging me to check it out. And I was like, okay, I don't know, I don't know. And I just immediately, from from the first, from the 11th hour, the first episode of Series 5, just fell in love with it. And, but that also, like you said, Aaron, like at that point in my life, that was a kind of storyline or just, I don't know, the entire, the entire arc of that season, like really appealed to me. You know, and I think the thing that I'm thinking about now, which I really actually haven't thought about this before, so this is interesting, but, um. Yeah, I came in for Series 5, and I had had an English friend who had been, like, begging me to watch it forever. She was very into it, and she was like, look, you don't even have to start at the first series. She was like, just start in Series 5. You'll be able to understand what's going on. So, and and one day, I think I was just, like, at, honestly, like, a not a great point in my life. Like, relationship-wise, just, like, what I was doing, like, I didn't know. And I just was like, you know what? I'm going to give this show a shot because I have nothing else to do, and I'm miserable. <laughs> so I put it on, and... I mean, more so, I get, I think it's just, like, this is going to speak to the show itself, but, like, I don't think I had ever watched something that was so hopeful before, mm-hmm. and it was so, like, fun and, and lighthearted, but still had those moments of, like, real emotion in it, and so more than anything, more than just whatever the show is, or I think it's the core of it, that series five really started, like, enunciating Yeah, that kind of got me but then the first episode i watched live was the power of three. Oh, which really was, yeah okay mm-hmm. which 
was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think just another thing on top of that is that Series 5 was really when the show started to get a big push in America. Yeah. I mean, until that year, it didn't even air in America. I mean, there's no way to watch it. Um, so that also helped because more and more people were talking about it, more and more people were watching it. Um, my entire friend group, like our entire friend group at the time, had all started at the same time. Yeah. So that really was a big moment uh, just here in the U.S. That was when everyone really kind of got on board with it. Yeah, it just became accessible. Yeah. So what um, what was it that sort of caused you to say, let's do a podcast? And how did it come to be that you were the ones who were on the podcast? You already knew each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I actually remember this um, vividly because I took a screenshot of it. <laughs> 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 Very millennial of me. Um, this was a conversation that happened online um, between Aaron and I and another one of our friends at the time. Um, we were we were always discussing the show. We were always obviously talking about, you know, whatever was going on at the time, Clara and the doctor and, and everything. And um, one of us, and I can't remember who exactly it was, it might have been Aaron, I don't remember, said jokingly, we should just do a podcast. And that literally was the impetus that started it. It was just That's we were so joking funny. about it. Um I can't remember exactly. I have no memory of this at all. Yeah, I I got the screenshot. So much of my life. But yeah, I mean, it was a while. It was uh, four years ago now, almost four years. Um, And I I don't know about you, but I had listened to a couple podcasts and I had an idea of how to do it, um, a vague idea. Uh, We kind of just figured it out, um, just Mm -hmm. thinking it would be fun. I mean, the first bunch of episodes we did were atrocious, disorganized, and yeah, we, we didn't really know what we were doing and. Didn't have the right equipment yet or anything like that, but um, but we a podcast really liked is it. Just a conversation, is it? You yeah, can't go wrong. Yeah, and it was kind of like we already had really great conversations, and it felt like, oh, why don't we just if we could record these conversations and share them? And a big part of that was, you know, when we started getting more listeners, it was like, oh, we can be. Um, I feel it sounds kind of cocky to say like the voice of like a female <laughs> fan. Of, like that's not what I mean, but. But, you know, as I said before, there aren't a lot of podcasts that are female hosted. And that was a really big thing for us. Um, and what a lot of people, whether they were women or not, they really responded to that. Um, just the dynamic and the exchanges that we shared were very different by just by nature of us being all girls and all being friends beforehand. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, and I think, too, like we were sort of not even just having conversations with each other, but depending on, I mean, social media, like we would be talking about it on Tumblr, on Twitter, mm-hmm. like we already had people talking to us about it. Yeah. Um. So I feel like it seemed just sort of like a natural thing to do. But also I think something about Doctor Who that is, that sort of almost puts it into like a prestige television genre, which is an interesting word to use for Doctor Who, but it really is. But is that, like, the audience that is attracted to it is an audience that largely wants to talk about it. Yeah. So people who watch the show already have this, like, urge to to discuss it with everybody and to listen to everybody else talk about it. Mm -hmm. So Doctor in that way is very sort of like almost like a singular kind of show in this space because I can't think of another audience that that (laughs) wants to talk about a show for this long, this consistently. Yeah. And I think, um, I think what we've found over the years that we've been doing the show is that there's, you know, there'll be lulls when the show isn't on, but I mean, there's always something new to talk about, whether mm-hmm. it's a new doctor, a new companion, or, you know, like the 50th anniversary, like some kind of big event, like a casting announcement. There's, there's always, you know, there's things to speculate about. There's always, because of the nature of the show, it just has a very regenerative nature. Yeah. And there's, we've found that it's, it can be really exciting, even if we kind of, you know, the show's on hiatus and we're kind of thinking, oh man, you know, gotta get back into the podcast. The second that we start, it just like, it's feels like naturally like, comes yeah, back. Yeah, we're out. right back in it because it's, it's so easy to get excited about the show in a way that I feel like not a lot of other shows have that same feeling where you don't get weary of it. You yeah. get kind of, you know, still excited whenever something new happens. And I think because most, most shows that I think are discussed like this, and I mean, when I think of, like, other shows that people unravel to death, you think of things now that are, like, Westworld or, like, any of these Game huge... Of Game of Thrones. These huge dramas that are very dark in nature. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Who just really isn't that... I mean, obviously, it has its dark episodes and its dark moments, but you always come out the other end in a way that you don't in most other television. I actually can't think of another show <laughs> yeah. like this. 
Um, so that in itself is such an attractive quality in a show. Like, just to discuss something because it makes you happy and not because it makes you going, like, what did I just watch? Yeah. And yeah. now I'm miserable even without knowing why. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, Doctor Who is the exact midpoint between exactly between mm-hmm. children's television and Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, exactly. And I mean, we haven't brought it up, but I think one of the other things that did that does actually, I think, make us like a very um, kind of like stand out, I guess, as a podcast is not just that we're girls, but like that we're like queer women, <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know. So it's we're looking at it from like a very different perspective, even than like other female podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also something that, especially now when we had Bill this last season, was like extremely relevant, and we really enjoyed being able to discuss that from a very personal place. Mm-hmm. And did the character of Bill work for you then? Oh my yes. gosh! Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm sure we've said this on our podcast like a thousand mm-hmm. times, but I don't remember anymore. But um, I actually haven't seen a character that was so realistically portrayed as as Bill has been like Mm -hmm. I feel like in a lot of other shows you get a gay character gay female character whatever and it's sort of brought up once and then like it'll be brought up for a coming out it's like oh oh, this character's gay great Mm -hmm. and then it will only be brought up again if this character is in a relationship so the thing that was so great about Bill is that like it was just sort of who she was every episode all the time yeah and in a way that the show didn't let you forget that and that itself I think was such a subtle thing for the show to do but also so um, important because it was something that we could actually sit here and be like oh wow wait this is I relate to this like 100% yeah and I think all of us on the show really felt like it was a very nuanced portrayal yeah of a gay woman because she you know a criticism I've seen is that people say oh she talks about being gay so much but you know for a straight person you know you could think about how often does your life love life come up in conversation how often do you talk about people you find attractive or people you've dated or, you know, my ex, blah, blah, blah. You know, it comes up in conversation all the time. And I think it stood out for some people because they weren't used to seeing a queer female character talking about her love life yeah. on TV mm-hmm. because, unfortunately, it's, you know, it's it's really not as prevalent. Or just having to reinforce her sexuality all the time. Like I feel like right. it's just something that most people don't think about, but it really is something that we do, like, every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's just a joke or a one-liner. Bill had so many good one-liners about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it was just excellent. I thought it was one of the best characters I've seen on TV trying to represent this experience. Well, I'm speaking of finding a midpoint between things, <laughs> the other extreme, other than, you know, regular programs having a gay character, is programs about being gay, I suppose. Things like The L Word. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd have seen that because that was oh, years yeah. ago. But in that, it's all gay all the time. So Doctor <laughs> Who is not about being gay. So instead, yeah. they have a character who's gay. And I don't know, to me, it felt like they found the right balance between the program not being about that, but finding enough room so that that wasn't shoved to the side. Yeah, like mm-hmm. just kind of giving her like this space to exist as a person would in this show. Like, yeah. which is, again, like you said, it is something a lot of shows don't do. It's either they're all, they're, it's gay 100% of the time, all the time. But even in a way that's all not entirely realistic, right. or it's just sort of like that one-off mentioned whatever. It's over now. Um, so, but Doctor Who I feel like has just historically done a very good job of sort of being like, here's a character yeah. who is fluid or in in these ways, or is this sexuality or this gender or whatever, um, and we're gonna address it without making it the point of the show, but also without sidelining it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Captain Jack, a great yeah. first example, mm-hmm. yeah. Love Captain Jack. River. River, yeah. Clara had her moments. Clara and Jane Austen. (laughs) Loved that. Right, before I ask you anything else... Oh, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've been throwing in So Speaking Of every now and again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm so happy to hear that. Yes. uh, (laughs) So Speaking Of. Well, before I ask you anything else, I'm going to ask you to throw me one of the names for the Impossible Girls that you didn't use. Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. I actually have a whole Google Doc of them, and I have not opened it in a very long time. Um, I know oh, a bunch of them were my awful suggestions. I had um, a ton of terrible ideas. I can definitely find them as we're recording, and then later <laughs> in the show, I can, uh, I can okay. drop one in. I'll I'm ask you of, again um, at the end. Oh, I do. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I do remember one. Um, Power of Three. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Power <laughs> of Three. Yeah, that was an idea. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, we didn't go with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad we didn't use that. It was just... Well, it would have kind of worked, but I think The Impossible Girls is better. 
Yeah, right. I think it says <laughs> more. Fits a little better. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some specific things. Well, I'll ask you about Clara in a minute. Before we talk about <laughs> Clara, you went to the SDCC last weekend. It was we last did. weekend, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you have a good time? Oh my gosh. We did. We're still recovering yeah. from it. Um, <laughs> it's so exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, Not that either of you sound remotely tired. <laughs> Surprisingly, yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah. Pulling um, it together. But no, we had a great time and we, I mean, I feel like we actually spent more time worrying about being able to get into Doctor Who than we should have. Yeah. Because um, we very easily got, you know, we waited in line, got wristbands, were able to get into the hall to see it 7 a.m. the next morning, bright oh, yeah. and early. Um, and then saw Doctor Who at 2. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a long weekend. But yeah, it, it was definitely I mean, worth it. That panel was great. It was like a very beautiful tribute to Peter, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so this was my actu- my first time at San Diego Comic-Con, and Aaron's been a bunch of times and has seen Doctor Who panels before. Yes. Right? I have. Um, I had not. So, like, the whole Hall H concept was, like, totally foreign to me and the whole, you know, waiting in line for such a long time. But it was cool to be around all the different fans and – um. If you don't know anything about Hall H, it's basically you have to sit. They don't clear out the hall after each panel, so you have to sit through whatever's before the panel you want to see. Yeah. So we sat through three different panels before Doctor Who. Supernatural. Finally, Supernatural. Judge Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which looks good, and now we're gonna watch it. Mm-hmm. And another one that was awkward and weird. Yeah. Um, but then finally, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who was at uh, one o'clock, two o'clock, two. Um, two o'clock. Um. So Peter Capaldi was there, Pearl Mackey, Michelle Gomez, Stephen Moffat, Mark Gatiss, Matt Lucas. Matt Lucas. The um, whole crew. Yeah, the whole crew. They, Yeah, they were awesome. They I, were great. I mean, it was just – and it's like I feel like the thing that's so special about this kind of event is just that to actually be surrounded by this many people who are so passionate about the same thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's something we can all – that's the point of fandom online is that, you know, it's like you can meet all these people who all like the same things as you. But to see them all in person mm-hmm. – I mean, this hall is, like, what, like 6,000 capacity, maybe 7, more? 7,000. 7,000. And, I mean, everybody there was just so overwhelmingly, like, supportive and passionate about the, of this show. And, like, Peter yeah. Capaldi as the doctor and mm-hmm. Stephen Moffat. And mm-hmm. so it's always sort of, I feel like, a good way to get out of this weird online bubble sometimes bubble. where yeah. everybody's opinions seem so polarized and contrasting and blah, blah. And to actually, like, be around people who who are all here because they love one thing in particular. Yeah. Um, regardless of maybe their opinions on other certain things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the big things that Stephen kept saying was that, oh, this um, this backlash against Jodie Whittaker is like, it doesn't exist. It's just like all these, these few people online. And, you know, actually sitting there when he said that in that hall and listening to everybody, all <laughs> 7,000 people cheer at it, Mm-hmm. Is when I actually realized, like, oh, wow, he's right. Yeah. Is that all these people here? And we were listening to people, like, around us talk about it. And they're like, oh, you know, I haven't seen her in anything, but I think she'll probably be really good. Or yeah. I don't really know what to expect, so I'll wait till I see her. And just all these very open-minded people who really were not participating in this kind of backlash, quote-unquote, online. Just so, I, I mean, I don't know. I think it was just, like, a really weirdly eye-opening moment (laughs) yeah it was a nice experience to be around so yeah just so many people who are so excited because obviously if you've you know waited six hours to get wristbands like we did and then camp overnight which we did not do but some (laughs) people did and you know wake up early in the morning you've been through a lot to see this so obviously like the people who are there really want to be there yeah like or really mean something to them yeah are really enjoying it and the fact that it was peter's last comic-con i think was really bittersweet i mean he, he actually seemed like you know, not like I hang out with Peter every day and, and would know this, but he seemed, you know, kind of, it was kind of like a bittersweet moment for him. You could kind of see on his face, um, they showed a really nice little tribute video, which has been available, I think, on Twitter um, and YouTube, I'm sure. Um, and it was a really beautiful tribute they put together, just his whole time on the show, and you could tell it was really meaningful for him to still see that he's gotten such a great response. Yeah, that to give him a, everybody giving him a standing ovation. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. So I'm very glad we got to go to that. Yeah, it was really cool. And to see the Christmas trailer. Oh, yeah. Was, which was great. Oh, my God, that trailer. Yeah. It's amazing. It's There'll so be exciting. tears at Christmas. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, all by, all Ugh. from me. Ugh. All from you? All from me. <laughs> from all me. of the tears. <laughs> so speaking of Jodie Whittaker that you've just mentioned, what yes. did you two think of the casting of the first woman doctor? <laughs> oh, oh, my okay. gosh. Well, what was funny was that 
if you've listened to our show, you know that we um, spent a lot of time discussing how basically what happened with Peter's casting was that I'm sure you remember this too, is that, you know, all these names were being tossed around for such a long time. And then like two days before BBC was due to announce the next doctor, everyone started saying Peter Capaldi, Peter Capaldi, like seemingly out of nowhere. And it was kind of like, oh, that, that rumor happened like very close to the announcement date and obviously turned out to be right. And the same Same thing thing happened with Matt Smith. Matt Smith Smith. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, this whole, that whole, you know, I guess weekend or the days leading up to the weekend, we were keeping a really close eye because we really did not want it to be, um, what's his name? Chris, Chris Marshall. Chris Marshall. Yeah. And not even because we have anything against Chris Marshall, but just because we felt, you know, it's time, let's get a yeah, woman it's time to be the doctor. to do something different. Yeah. yeah. And and literally it was like the day before we started seeing Jodie Whittaker and we were like, oh my God, this is, yeah, this I, is well, it. I, this is it. I remember seeing it about her name pop up about two days before they... I yeah, think it was before yeah. they announced it, but I remember seeing her name, and then all of a sudden the BBC was like, "Oh, we're gonna drop the trailer, the reveal on Sunday." And yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." And then I started seeing everybody saying Jodie Whittaker, Jodie Whittaker, mm-hmm. and so I'd watched her in Broadchurch, and um, I seen her Black Mirror episode and all that stuff, and I was like, I was very excited about it. I mean, she's an incredible actress. Yeah. Um, she's just so like dynamic and has such a range that I feel like she's gonna be brilliant honestly as the doctor i'm really i have not seen her in anything because i haven't seen broadchurch yet i need to watch it but um i just i can tell already like i'm gonna love her she seems awesome yeah you've got to watch broadchurch i think you'll get a few i I think you might get a few ideas although it's obviously completely totally and utterly different to doctor who but you might get a few ideas about how chris chibnall's doctor who might be from broadchurch yeah in terms of the characters and things like that in terms of how they relate to each other i think i Mm -hmm. i just have a feeling that his doctor who will be about those kind of character relationships a bit more yeah, and I think he does that very well. I mean, Broadchurch is so compelling. Every dynamic of that show is so compelling. Um, so I'm excited to see what he brings from that, or from his style, at least, to Doctor Who. I yeah. think it'll be really great. I'm so excited to see that, yeah. Actually, yeah. Well, one of the things he's done in Broadchurch, and I think he's done it pretty much in all three series, is that you'll get the odd eccentric characters coming in on the periphery of the story and turning out to possibly be really important. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that Doctor Who used to do back in the day, which obviously mm. would be back when he was a fan of it. So I'm wondering if his Doctor Who might have more of that sort of thing going on with it as well. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, be great. Are you looking forward to Chris Chibnall? And will you miss Stephen Moffat? <laughs> I will miss Stephen Moffat, yeah. but um, I have to practice what I preach, and I'm constantly saying that the show's about change, and so <laughs> we have to embrace it really <laughs> with open arms so and i mean i i think chris is a is a great show and i mean again like i love what he did with broadchurch like mm-hmm. i thought that was just incredible so um i am i'm hoping that he does keep the sort of complexity that Stephen was able to do so well because i really love those like very full kinds of stories yeah where there's like so much to piece together or pull apart and i know that's not for everybody but i'm a huge fan of that and mm-hmm. i love when Stephen did it like i was a huge fan of of um what are the ones that everybody else hates that I feel like I like? Oh, Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon. I yeah. love those episodes. Well, I've got to and say, I'm with you on that. I love them yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> love them. And they're so complicated and crazy and all over the place. And yeah. I, I mean, it's the sort of thing that I'm totally attracted to. So I do hope that Chris does keep that sort of complex element that he, I mean, he had it in Broadchurch and I know he's very capable of it. So I'd like to see some some stuff like that from him. Yeah. But I mean, I think I he's think, a great writer. I think Stephen Moffat did that a lot with the sci-fi and yeah. did the characters mm-hmm. through the sci-fi whereas yeah, i wonder yeah. if chris chibnall will do that but kind of separated it you know separate it from the sci-fi again so it'll have the mm-hmm. complexity of stephen moffat but the character definition of russell t davis yeah yeah, yeah. i was that actually yeah was going to be my next point you know looking back to russell t davies i like his episodes but i feel like you know his episodes it's very broad you know yeah. his, his time as showrunner i i like um but what I think drew me more to Moffat was that 
like you said, RTD was great at the characters, and I felt like that was his strength, and then the sci-fi elements and the complex, you know, plot lines and, and plot twists and stuff like that weren't, were more Moffat's thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if Chris Chibnall can blend together those two elements, I think it'll be really amazing. I'm really excited to see how the show will have a totally different feel. Yeah. Because, you know, when you watch the end of Series 4 and go into Series 5, I mean... It's like whiplash. You can tell there's a new showrunner. Yeah, you can tell that that it's not in a bad way. It's just, you know, you It's new. Yeah, it's it's a different vibe and I'm really excited to see how I think it's it's time. I'm really gonna miss Moffat, but I think that it's definitely time for something new and I will welcome that. Mm-hmm. The only thing I will say that I'm a little worried about, because I heard, and I heard he was doing this, I don't know how true it is, but the I heard that he's gonna do sort of like an American writer's room. Mm-hmm. Um which I think would I mean would solve some problems that I, this, every series has at some point of just, like, cohesion, where there's always that one out-of-place episode or something like that. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like that is also something that makes Doctor Who's so uh, sort of... It gives it that individualized sort of taste to it. It's more yeah. authored than American yeah, programs, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it is. And it's. I always think it's actually really fun to sort of, like, see a writer's name and be like, oh, wow, oh. they're doing this episode. Like, I know this is going to be great, or I can't wait to see what they do with this, or... You know, maybe seeing a writer being like, oh boy, I'm probably not going to enjoy this too much. But there's just something I think that's very fun about that. Like having that element to it. Yeah. Um, So I don't know how I feel about having an American writer's room. Yeah, we talk about that on our show a lot. Um, JR, you'll you'll know this. um, That we, (laughs) each of us have specific writers that we love and specific writers that we're not fans of as much. Yeah. Well, yes, I've got to say, I (laughs) largely tend to agree with you. And that's just another reason why I enjoy your podcast. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I agree with you, Erin, that it's it's really fun to to see, you know, especially when we get kind of, like, the list at the beginning of the series and mm-hmm. see who's writing what, and it's always really exciting to see, like, Sarah Dollard's name, because, yeah. you know, we love her her writing, and, um, you know, the idea of a writer's room, I don't know, I mean, I think it could make for a very cohesive season, Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I'm kind of just repeating everything you just said, but, okay. you know, the individuality is, yeah. is what makes the show fun sometimes. So. Yeah. I and I always just feel like it's a great experience for writers to sort of like I know Stephen yeah. would just kind of like really let him loose and be like here do it have fun yeah um and I think that's that in itself I think it just sort of is great as a as a work um mm-hmm. model like yeah that's a fantastic opportunity so I feel like the loss of that is, is gonna be interesting mm-hmm. if yeah. true also if they because <clears throat> of course this is still only rumored at the moment we don't know if it's yeah, actually going right. to happen but if you have a writer's room then presumably you'd have and it being the uk you wouldn't have as many as you have in america presumably you'd have four or six writers who between them would be working on maybe eight or ten scripts across the series mm-hmm. but none of them would be expressing themselves as individuals so you wouldn't yeah. have the next stephen moffat coming through yeah. So you exactly. potentially you'd be wondering where the next showrunner is going to come from after Chris Chibnall. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I think that's a great point. Like the fact that I feel like you know we can I can look back at series one through four and be like, of course, Stephen was going to be the next yeah. showrunner. Like, yeah. look at these episodes that he did. I mean, these were incredible. So I feel like kind of I guess if if again if this does happen, um, that's also going to be something that's a little going to be a little tricky to navigate because it's sort of going to be like. Well, I don't really know who put in what to any of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is a so... potential answer in that the people who've been working on the program with Stephen Moffat, people like Jamie Matheson, Peter yeah. Harness, who might not necessarily be ready now to become a showrunner, right. might go off and in the three or four or five years that Chris Chibnall's doing it, start a show somewhere else, run a show mm. somewhere else, and at the end of Chris Chibnall's time, one of those guys who might not have written Doctor Who for a few years may be invited back to take over. Potentially. So yeah, that's Jamie how it could Matheson. work. Yeah. Oh, that's a dream. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think Jamie Matheson's just about everybody's choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, now you've given me, like, this this dream for the future. This yeah. is what I want. <laughs> well, we'll just have to wait and see. Okay, here's know, another question definitely. for you. Okay. You started with Series 5. You started the podcast between Series 7 and Series 9, but at some point between Series 5 and presumably when you started the podcast, you did go back to the Russell T. Davis years and watch yes. those four seasons and the um, specials. Mm-hmm. How did you find Russell T. Davis after having been so used to Stephen Moffat? 
Karen, I'm gonna let you take this first. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go first because I vividly, vividly remember. Um, I after watching five and six, there was like the downtime before seven started, and that was when I told myself, okay, you know, I really should go back and, and watch the earlier ones. And of course, like at that time, um, talking about you know 2011, 2012, I feel like you heard a lot about David Tennant um, on Tumblr yeah. and, and those oh, yeah. kind of online circles that that we ran in, and. Um, I kept saying, like, I know I have to watch it. I know I have to watch it, but I don't want to. I can't accept anybody else but Matt as my doctor. And, like, I had a hard time with it for a while. And finally I just did it. And um, I I enjoyed it um, at the time. So I want to say that I was um, about 22, I think, still in college. And um, I, I really liked Rose and Ten's dynamic. I don't know that if I was watching the show for the first time at the age I am now, which is 27, I don't know that I would see it in the same light. Um, I know that that's not a huge gap in time, but I, but I feel like I've changed a lot and my tastes have changed a lot. And in the time that mm. I watched it, I really enjoyed um, Ten and Rose. I really loved Martha, Donna. I mean, I really loved all the, the characters, Jack Harkness, all of them. Um, I mean, there's definitely, when you go from, like, season six and then you go back to one, there's definitely a marked change in just the tone. The, yeah, yeah tone, in. I was going to say even just just watching it, just the quality oh, is, yeah. is so different. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that was a little, like, jarring to be like, wow, this is what it was like before they really had a, a budget. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, but I think there are a lot of stories, there still are a lot of stories that I come back to um certain episodes that I think were really unique and I just think it was just a very different the show was was pretty different um and I've I can't really point to anything that I really strongly disliked for me it's just more that I I came to prefer Moffat's style yeah um but there were definitely were were some episodes in in the RTD era era that I was like what what is this this? what's happening here like some monsters and I think I, that happened with less and less frequency as we got into Moffat's era. But I feel like there were there were some monsters and some plot lines in the early ones that I was like, oh my god, what is <laughs> yeah. this? Um, so so for me, I actually have a little bit of a different experience because I think I actually did the same thing though. Where in between, either five and no, it must have been in between seven and seven and eight, seven and seven A and seven B. Mm-hmm. Um, oh wow! I right. went back and I yeah I went back and watched I think one through four, and um, it wasn't so much that I even had a problem with the doctor because actually I don't consider Matt my like eleven my doctor I can, mm-hmm. I actually consider it twelve now I feel like mm-hmm. he's been the one that's like resonated the most with me, um, so I actually went back and I was just really really charmed by the tone of it I think mm-hmm. when it came back it still it had a bit more of, like, a childish feel to it, and not even particularly in a bad way, but in a way that I think if I had been watching it with children, they would have gotten more out of it than me <laughs> at that point, at, for some episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something I kind of struggled. I really liked Nine as the Doctor. Mm, interesting. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Ten after Two, only because I think I had gotten really used to sort of, like, that that frantic manic like again that hope that came with with 11's doctor like the whole era and that was sort of like the the keep pushing forward element of that and 10 you know to go back to that where he's sort of like brooding for two extra seasons (laughs) was like a little much for me a little (laughs) much for me to um adapt to Mm -hmm. which i think was my my overall problem with that but i liked i mean i loved martha i loved donna i thought all the companions were great um and then I actually only found out I liked Stephen Moffat because I went back and I and I was looking through an episode list and I was like, oh, what were those episodes I loved? Empty Child, Doctor Dances, Blink, like yeah. all these things. And I was like, oh, they're all written by this guy. <laughs> I was like, that's that explains a lot, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so yeah. I guess yeah. So I I, I enjoy I enjoyed it. I won't say I, I hated it or anything like that. I mean, I watched all of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's not something I go back and watch. Mm-hmm. I think I was like it was good it was good for me to like learn that that bit of history that I sort of needed for any of those Easter eggs that were thrown into five, six, seven, et cetera, right. et cetera. Um but there, I just didn't get as much out of the characters in the story, which is the real thing, is the story. Mm-hmm. I think just those that complication and that that um yeah. substance and depth for me to sit there and like think about endlessly i did not have as much in one to four and that's what i loved about five and onward mm-hmm. this is one of the things i've 
enjoyed particularly about listening to the Impossible Girls, the podcast, is that a lot of the time you'll pick apart the Moffat stuff. And whereas a lot of the, and you know, I've got to make this di distinction again, but whereas a lot of the sort of UK based or Australian based or whatever, but the older podcasts made by people who like the classic series, they're trying to pick apart the plots and they'll mm -hmm. find, they'll find sort of plot holes or things that they don't think necessarily follow. Whereas on your podcast, you're picking apart the characters and the motivations. And a lot of the time, I'm looking at the plot holes that the classic series fans, for want of a better expression, are finding and thinking, no, that's not a plot hole. That's where a character's motivation has changed. And the character mm -hmm, yeah. has changed their mind about something or changed the method by which they intend to do something. And you're spotting all these things that they're missing and they're seeing plot holes, and you're actually adding up all the motivations and putting the characters together. And in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways, I just find your podcast gets modern Doctor <laughs> Who in a way that a lot of these other ones don't. Thank well, you thank so you. much. Yeah. That's, and I, I mean, I think there's something... Um, Yes, and so just I, to add to that, for anybody <laughs> listening to this now who doesn't believe me, give it a try and find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's something with... Um, I, don't, I, I feel like I'd heard this, actually, so I don't know if this is true or not, but I, was, I, I think this is something with old sci-fi in general, is that <clears throat> with, with plot holes or things like that in the actual story and stuff, they aren't even always so much plot holes as just room for the audience to sort of put in you know to use their own brains and figure out hey what yeah. could have happened here what how can we fill this space which is again that's something that i know steven has made a point to do and you know his version of doctor who is go back and find these moments and be like this isn't a plot hole this is just here's what was happening during that time mm -hmm. um and so i think for us like a big i don't know i mean you can i don't want to speak for you mm -hmm, obviously okay. but i think we just kind of can pick up on that something shifts in a story because this, you know, this character is shifting their beliefs maybe, or their, they have to reconcile something with what they're about to do. Like, I think I was thinking to that great moment in the 50th when Claire is like asking Eleven, you know, be a doctor, don't do this. And he goes, you know what? I've changed my mind. And I'm like, I feel like that's such a great expression of this show is just yeah. that like, that is allowed to happen. You know, is that yeah. these characters are characters and they're going to behave like people and they're going to change their minds or they're going to, you know, maybe do something we didn't think that they were going to do or they're motivated by something that maybe they don't explicitly state out loud. And something fun about not just unraveling the story, but is unraveling what is making a character act a certain way within the story. Well, one of yeah, the best I... examples is Hell Bent. Yeah. Where, oh yes. my God. Yeah. Face, we a just lot of people. That. Yeah. A lot of people have said, "Why can't the story end in Face the Raven, where she dies?" And I'm like, "No. Oh, the point no. where she dies is the beginning of the story, yes. because yeah. the story is the journey the Doctor goes through to try and save her, mm -hmm. only partially successfully, and she changes, he changes, everything changes, and that's the yeah. story, not her dying, but what mm -hmm. he does to try and prevent that." Exactly. exactly. I mean, yeah, that's, I feel like that's actually probably one of the reasons we find like their Clara as a companion and just like their story so compelling. It's just that, I mean, the ways in which they changed and grew as characters is astounding. I mean, it's actually like a joy to watch unfold on screen, especially we just watched series eight and nine, actually basically back to back, like very quickly. And um, just the ways in which they evolve and sort of evolve around each other it's like a ch it's so fascinating and yeah. it's such good writing because it's not always so out there in your face some of it is much more subtle and we get like hints of you know oh wait i see this is going in a direction that maybe it shouldn't be going in um or this is becoming a little too all-encompassing and you know mm -hmm. then maybe they need to take a step back so things like that it's just like it's fun to watch that um organically develop in these within this crazy universe and these insane situations i mean mostly fueled by these insane situations yeah and i i was just gonna say i think that a lot of the reason why our podcast in particular tends to focus on that is aaron and i at least um 
are writers and have written for a long time and studied writing in college. And not that like we're experts at it, but you know, when you've studied it and when you write a lot, you know that that's what you're always striving for is to create Mm -hmm. these arcs for your characters and to make them go through a kind of journey where they learn something and their beliefs maybe change and their goals change and they get what they want or they don't get what they want. How does that affect them? And I think because we are so immersed in that and like have have hopefully learned to do that and definitely studied how to do that it makes us more aware of the media we consume and how they're accomplishing that same thing yeah yeah so i think that that's why we tend to discuss that a lot because we look at it i mean from an acting standpoint and and stuff like that but from a writing standpoint because that's how we relate to it in a lot of ways yeah just like what drives them i think it's just the yeah. thing that I always want to figure out because I, I think th- that it's I think it's there I mean it's there even if it's not always if they're not telling it to the audience I like when there are things that are sort of left up for the audience to unravel whether that be um, a, a missing piece of the plot or if it's like literally why a character has made a certain decision and it's always there I mean yeah. Yeah. Is, you know one of the things I love about Stephen Moffat is he doesn't have his characters essentially turn into the camera and saying, and this is the reason I'm doing this. Exactly. You know, which is not something you do in real life. In real life, the people <laughs> around you, you have to work out their motivations from the hints that they drop and from their actions. And you mm-hmm. get that in Doctor Who. And going back to what you were just saying, Hellbent has got to be in my top three or four favourite episodes of all time oh, because I yeah. think it is just it, it not only does all the things we've just been talking about that you two have just been talking about but it does it in such a beautiful and uplifting way when you yeah. get to mm-hmm. the end of that episode it doesn't just say something about what people are like but it does it in a way that says something about what the program's about in a way yeah. that's completely yeah. unique I yeah, think. exactly. It's yeah, what I love specifically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like what I love specifically about Heaven Sent, the episode right before that, where it's just yeah, here. Yeah. Like, I love that so much because I feel like a different writer could have put in a line or something that was like, you know, the doctor cared about Clara very much. <laughs> Instead, mm. that's Heaven Sent. But those words are never spoken. It's the concept. Yeah, it literally is just an exploration of that one sentence, basically. And, I mean, I think that that is just, like, absolutely phenomenal. They were able to do an hour of television. It's one actor alone, and you're seeing the depths to which he's going to to save her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's just, like, unbelievable. I mean, an episode's literally based on a single feeling. I think that's just fantastic. Like, what a fantastic way to explore that. But I also think another, like, a reason that we're so drawn to Clara, like, just to, I mean, now, I feel like we've never talked about it this much as now that we're getting into why we like her so much. Yeah. But, um, I think, particularly with Clara, she had the most development of, I, I personally feel, of any companion that we've seen. I mean, she literally grew so much as a character from when we see her in 7B to, you know, hellbent. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just like the length, just her whole evolution into sort of becoming the Doctor, I think she was so hard-earned and so well-fought. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then just, that... just to cut in, one of the stupid things that I've heard people say is mm-hmm. if she'd have left a year earlier, <laughs> we could have A, had Pearl Maggie a year earlier, which, of course, is rubbish, because if if Jenna Coleman had left a year earlier, it wouldn't have been Pearl Mackey that they'd found. Yeah. yeah. But one of the other things is, and then Pearl Mackey could have been in, essentially, those stories. Those stories would not have been written if it hadn't been for the fact that Jenna Coleman was around for a third year and Stephen Moffat could write the story of this stage of this character's development. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And this is, and as we know, like, this is always what he had planned for her. Yeah. Um, and I think, I'm pretty sure I remember that this is how he got her, Jenna to stay on for the extra season, yeah. is he took her to lunch and told her what he had planned, and she was like, oh, wow, okay. Like, oh my god. Better <laughs> stick around for this. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, she just goes from sort of, like, this early 20s girl who, like, is just lost yeah. in her own life mm-hmm. um, to this larger-than-her-own-life figure mm-hmm. that... I almost feel like it just doesn't have the space on Earth to exist there anymore. Like, I felt it was so good that, like, she ended the way she did because it was really what she deserved. Like, she outgrew herself, sort of. Yeah, and we talked about – I remember talking about that same exact concept, like, so much when we were doing our um, Series 9 discussion episodes weekly back then. And, you know, 
I still maintain that the hybrid story arc that season is my favorite story arc on Doctor Who ever yeah. because it's so tightly woven into almost I think probably every single episode that season and you know you well, you can see it happening. Well, except for no more. Oh, oh God, yes. we don't talk about that episode. <laughs> the episode that must not be named. Yeah, we don't. But, yeah, I mean, it, it really kind of, Clara's whole arc leads her to that point where it's, you know, she's becoming less of herself and, and her life and her destiny kind of is becoming more entwined with the doctors and she's becoming more like him and that's her downfall in Face the Raven is that she tries to emulate him and And she's, she's just missing that him. immortality. Yeah. She, that's the one thing about her that's, but you know, and I, I, again, like I don't even, I never even saw it as almost becoming him but more so just becoming who she should be this should have been this whole time Mm -hmm. and just without having sort of the actual ability to do so and so at the end of hellbent which is why i think it's so perfect is that she's given the opportunity she is given the ability to access her potential which is just i mean which is what i the whole show should be about is like here you are this is your potential here it is unleashed like go do the great things you were meant to do Mm -hmm. you know the story of that season is not the story of season four with donna is yeah. beware, be careful what you dream of. It'll kick yeah. you on the backside. <laughs> the story of series nine is not be careful what you dream of. It's go for what you dream of. And yeah. who knows, yeah. nine times out of ten, you might not make it. But if you don't try, you'll never find out. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's a one in ten chance that you will make it and it will have been worth reaching for. Series four says don't bother reaching because it'll kick you on the backside. Series <laughs> yep, nine yeah. says... No, don't listen to Don't Bother. Do it. Reach. Yeah. Try. Yeah. It's the most uplifting story. Yeah. Uh, what can I say? I, I just absolutely adore that episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even totally. her growth. And I could talk about it forever, so I'll stop myself. But, <laughs> well, okay. Uh, I'm going to her... throw you a quick question then. Oh, sorry. Did okay, I cut okay. you off? No, carry no, on. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. A quick question. I want each of you to name your favorite episode. Oh, shit. Oh. Uh, well, we actually have already talked about it. my favorite episode is actually Hellbent. Oh wow! Well, there you I go. I think my Hellbent or not Hellbent. I think Hellbent. No, mine is either Heaven Sent, um, or I don't know. Maybe actually that is. Or you know, I also would go for Blink because I know Blink so many like, people yeah. say that. Um, I would say Blink, or I would say Eleventh Hour because that was the first episode I ever saw, and so that's like you know in my heart. No, Hellbent, Hellbent all the way. You know, I yeah, I, if I really am having to pick, I'm going to say Heaven Sent, because I think it's just fascinating what they accomplished. Oh, fair enough. Okay, quickly then, before we go, um, Christmas is coming up. Oh, and yes. Well, you've seen, by now, having gone back, you've seen three or four regenerations. This one's obviously a bit different. This Christmas yeah, mm-hmm. special is... This Christmas special is almost kind of a little extra for the character in the middle of his regeneration. And having seen the trailer at SDCC, and, well, of course, being fans of Clara and having just watched the series with Bill, uh, what are you two girls looking forward to at Christmas? Bill's return. Yeah, Bill's return. That was a great thing to witness in the hall at SCCC was the reaction when you see Bill in the trailer. That was awesome. And everybody just screaming. Yeah, Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm really just excited to see 12's actual regeneration because I think that, you know, he had a really interesting start to his character when, you know, 11 regenerated into 12 and, and he had a very hard time kind of figuring out who he was and what was going on. And I think then to now see him being so who he is and being forced to to leave essentially is going to be really fascinating Mm -hmm. i think that's probably what i'm most excited for um aside from what aaron's about to say which is (laughs) uh i was actually not gonna say what you thought i was gonna say which is i'm sure she thought i was gonna say about clara potentially showing up (laughs) which if that happens yes i'm gonna be very excited about it but um she has to turn up she has i mean it's like a tradition at this point for the canyon but, um, no, I'm actually excited, and I don't know if this is really happening, but it's, like, a popular theory, um, is that they're revisiting when they froze Gallifrey in the 50th, mm-hmm. because he obviously has oh, to yeah, do that yeah. before he regenerates. So I think that if that is a plot point, I would be thrilled to see that revisited. Yeah, the theory that um, we talked about this in one of our episodes, I think, but but um, that little shot of of twelve that you, or, yeah twelve that yeah, you see in um, in the fiftieth anniversary of just his just his his iconic eyebrow shot that's actually from Christmas 
think yeah. would be so cool. I think that'd be amazing. And yeah. that seems like something that would happen. It seems like Moffat's, I'm also really excited to just see, I mean, because you know this is going to be Moffat at his peak. At his prime. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, there's going to be a and lot I mean, in him store. And, I mean, 12 and 1 trying to convince each other to regenerate. That's just yeah. in itself an excellent concept. Like, that's his, that's hysterical and also very heartbreaking somehow. Yeah. And to have David Bradley back to do that is awesome. Yeah. Well, I tell you something that I saw on Facebook earlier today is a little news story that said, um, I don't know, one of them was presumably being interviewed somewhere. And he said that both David Bradley and Peter Capaldi got to some point during the recording of it. And in the middle of some particular scene at some particular moment, the pair of them broke down in tears. I just oh. actually read that right before we did right. this podcast. Oh my god, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, so like they, something surprised them. Apparently, they had some sort of surprise on set or something they oh. weren't expecting. Wow. Oh my god. Oh, maybe it was something cool. external, like somebody brought a cake in or something. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Can you imagine? Oh, oh my god. But whatever that is, that's going to be a moment. I'll be yeah. excited for. Yeah. Will you two oh, girls yeah. be satisfied if the Clara thing is just a brief glimpse of the character, like we had of Amy in? Um, matt smith's regeneration story or would would nothing less than a proper appearance from the character be good enough because for my money i think we're more likely to see even if only briefly for a couple of minutes i think she'll be back properly back yeah yeah i i mean to answer that question i think that i i would be definitely happy if it were i guess i'm like i'm trying not to keep my like keep my expectations kind of low oh, because my hopes are way up I was yeah. I really did not expect to see Amy at 11's regeneration and that was awesome to have her show up and you know the thing was that like there was really no way for Amy to have been a part of that story so the capacity that we saw her in in that episode I thought was definitely fine and was totally justified for Clara especially if we're talking about a moment being frozen and, to, yeah. and there's a lot more room that she could actually feasibly be involved in that story which oh, is I tell the thing you. that makes me think yeah yeah well there's one the other thing as well is this is two doctors the first doctor doesn't want to regenerate the 12th doctor mm. doesn't want to regenerate and the story seems to be about two doctors who don't want to regenerate and it mm-hmm. kind of maybe it'll have something of it's a wonderful life in there where they teach <laughs> where they teach each other no don't not regenerate because you'll die but carry on in a new body or whatever mm-hmm. but if you need them to get to the end of the episode and have an impetus to regenerate what better impetus than clara suddenly comes back in their lives and says look I went off, I took the long way around, I've had a hundred <laughs> years of traveling the universe and saving lives and doing magical things, and now I'm back off to Trap Street to face my destiny. Yeah. What better way <laughs> of getting the first and the twelfth Doctors to face their destiny as well and to have that scene just before the end? Oh my god. I know, I know, <laughs> and I've, I've gone over that in my head so many times. I, so here, my take on this is that I will be happy if I feel that it's it's what the story needs. Right, really. yeah. Um, you know, I think if it's if it's some sort of a brief a brief moment, if it's whatever, it, if I feel that that's, that's the capacity in which she needed to appear and yeah. the story works with that, then I'll be satisfied. Um, however, I, I, I think that would be like, that would be such a poetically beautiful yeah. ending. But I also, and this is me selfishly, I want her to continue living out there somewhere in the universe just so I can be at peace in my, <laughs> in my own heart. Um, well, it's time travel. Even if she I goes know, back exactly. to Trump Street, who knows? She's yeah. still out there somewhere, it's true. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to have to wait. I do have my hopes way up. I think she's going to be back no matter yeah, what. I think 100% she's going to be I would be confident putting my money on that. I think yeah. I think it would be really weird for him to not. Um but I, the scenario you just described, JR, that's like my, my perfect scenario. I would oh, love that. No. It's so painful. And you know Moffat is going to want to have something horribly painful. But I feel like he's so bad at killing his darlings, Moffat. It's like, you know, it's the but thing. But she's I mean, already dead. Yeah, well, this is the but, thing. Yeah, you don't see her <laughs> die. You just that's see true. her going off to face her fate. And actually, it's that's kind true. of a hopeful, a sort of bittersweet, but kind of hopeful ending. Because the last thing she says is, I lived a wonderful life that I yeah. wasn't expecting to live. Thank you, Doctor. 
Yeah, oh, and I'm she upset. had her whole book of like a hundred and one you know places to see. And she oh went no, this is see- atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> this is awful. I'm be upset. Oh my god, I, I feel think like that would be really. <laughs> I feel like I've taken us to a bad, bittersweet place at the end of the episode <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> we always get there on our show. I get there on my own every day of my life. So we're really not not done anything unusual. All right, before we go, then. Um, let everybody know where they can find you because having listened to you two talking for an hour, people are going to want to come and find you, right? Oh, well, well I we hope can so. Help, yeah. We would love that. Um, so we're on Twitter at TIG Podcast. Um, we have a Facebook page, which is obviously just the Impossible Girls Podcast. Um, on Tumblr, we're impossiblegirlspodcast.tumblr.com. And if you go there, that will give you all the links that you need to check out any of our past episodes. And of course, we're on iTunes as well under the impossible girls so yeah. you can subscribe there and our goal up until christmas is to do an episode per month um just discussing any new casting news or any you know we'll, we'll start getting more stuff about christmas as we get closer to december um and hopefully and... a little bit about well who knows they said they're going to put more of a lid on it but we'll presumably start hearing some things about chris chipnell's as well yeah. yeah, yeah, which would be great. So there'll definitely be a lot of things to discuss, a lot, a lot more news than usual. Um, and then when you know series eleven, which is crazy to say, when that when that starts up again, we uh, we go weekly. So yep, yeah. excellent. Well, thank you for coming on. And, well, thank uh, you for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank you this for having us. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is uh, this has saved me going over to Matt's. So, you know, I was able to do this from home, so, you know. Oh, yeah, the comfort. Speaking of which, next week is also probably at this stage going to be a guest podcast, which will be a bunch of people from New Zealand. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, well, I hear I'm being called from the other room, so I'm going to have to run off. But until then, (laughs) I was JR. I was Aaron. I was Kara. And I was Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll speak again soon. (laughs) 